you ever wish that you could have a therapist as a friend? Well, now's your chance. I'm Marianne Griffith, and I'm the host of the Renewal Session Podcast, where each week we have real conversations about the messy and the meaningful things of life with me and some of my friends. I'm a therapist who's passionate about helping people break free of strongholds and create a better life. Pull up a seat and let's dive in to a real conversation. Welcome back. Super excited to have you here this week. We're going to talk about living Buddha, living Christ again. And on today's show, I have a special guest, my friend Courtney Gill. And we are going to share with you our insights about one of our favorite quotes, along with some other passages from the book. So sit back and enjoy. So Courtney, I wanted to talk about this particular quote that I um, read in the book and tie it back to some other quotes in the book as well. But the quote that I wanted to focus on today was that this quote, the living Christ is the Christ of love who is always generating love moment after moment. When the church manifests understanding, tolerance, and loving kindness, Jesus is there. Christians have to help Jesus Christ be manifested by their way of life, showing those around them that that love, understanding, and tolerance are possible. Do you love this? I love it. I think it's fantastic, and I think it's very true, and I can't wait to talk about it. Okay. So one of the things that really struck me obviously is based on like what's going on in our world today, tolerance, right? But he doesn't just add tolerance in there. He puts in understanding and loving kindness, which is something I don't feel like is happening around the world today. I think we're at a lot of polarized positions. I think there's a lot of um judgment that goes on about who's right, who's wrong, who's being politically correct, whose agenda, left, right, all of those things. But what he talks about in the book is sandwiching that tolerance between understanding and loving kindness. And that when we do that, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is present in our interactions. Do you think that like I don't know. I mean, I just don't hear that kind of discussion happening of like, okay, as Christians, we need to be more tolerant. And here here are two attributes of Christ that will help bring tolerance about, that it'll change the energy behind the conversation. So I'm older, you're younger. Tell me in your, in your life, do you feel like people who are inviting discussion but also tolerance discussions think about these attributes of Christ and how to sandwich them on either side of tolerance? Or do you feel like, no, I don't really hear much about that? That's such a good question. And I think... I think I see a lot of a call to tolerance, especially from my generation. But even my generation, I think, has taken on the attributes that they would condemn in an older generation or in a more intolerant group. Mm 
which is if you disagree with me, um, we are enemies and we are like constantly locked in this kind of contentious conversation, um, which is really just like a shouting back and forth. You know, I think we critique that. Like we say these older generations maybe are so intolerant, but then we ourselves have adopted the same level of aggravation to the point of like dehumanizing the people that we maybe disagree with. Um, and so I think we have definitely lost the importance of loving kindness and the importance of understanding. I don't think we're listening. No, I don't either. I mean, I think it comes down to that, right? When you can actually listen to someone else, sit with them and hear their experience, their point of view, like, and come to a place of really understanding who they are and what makes them tick, it's really hard to use kind of like the intolerant, dehumanizing language that we use about people. Well, and it's funny because, you know, when I think about being a Christian and all that's going on around me, what I love about this book and what he says in there is he also says in another place that when you are really present to a to people or an individual and you're showing that loving kindness and understanding that the energy of the Holy Spirit is there as well. And sometimes I think about like, uh, how do I responsibly have this conversation? But I put, I make myself the person that has to figure out the wisdom of what to say, right? Instead of saying, oh, I could take on qualities Now, I particularly am a big fan, and he doesn't talk a lot about this in the book, but I, if somebody was to ask me, what is a cornerstone of your life? I would say curiosity. But for me, curiosity is the inroad to understanding and living kindness. And I do know that when I am my most curious, and these attributes are there also, that the Holy Spirit is working through me, right? Yeah. And and furthermore, that hopefully the energy in the conversation is being impacted in such a way that there is no one voice that has to be silenced, but rather that the conversation is almost an invitation to embrace embracing and listening and challenging each other so that we can be better believers, we can be better people, and we can affect change. But I feel like nowadays, most of these conversations are debate or they're just intense. Like, and, and I just think, I don't, I don't really know that I want to be interacting with people around things and do it in a way where it polarizes us or creates so much intensity that the true character of who I am is missed because we've somehow managed to get into this discussion that puts us into camps. Right. Right. And so do you feel like hearing what he is saying in this book about when we 
do these things, when we really intentionally listen and live in a state of awareness that that is a form of God working through us? Yeah, I absolutely do. And I think thinking through my own life and experiences, when I have felt understood and truly heard by the people around me, I do sense that as like an experience of God's love and understanding and compassion toward me. So I think like anecdotally in my own life, I can like wholeheartedly agree with that. Oh, your dogs, they're here to visit, aren't they? They're so cute. We should, we should just tell people this is like real life, right? Like this is a thing, but you have these cute little pups and one is like, I don't know how, I don't even know how you describe Merlin. Do you have a word that you would put on Merlin? I really just call him a lover. He's a lover. That's probably true. And then you have Margot, who is also a princess. I feel like she's legitimately a princess. Would you agree with that? I would. And she's more discerning of people, unlike Merlin. Oh my gosh. So I just had my uh, 50th birthday party and Courtney was my event planner, manager, organizer, all, all thrown into one. And she had her pups here and literally we're sitting in my, my, um, like three seasons room and Courtney's sitting in the chair and Margot is like wrapped up like a snake around your neck. Like, like she's some kind of like fur stole, stole from back in the yeah. <laughs> like twenties and thirties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not a fox anymore. It's my dog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was so cute. So anyway, Hey, this is, this is a, this is a testimony to the real life that we live, uh, having all kinds of uh, dogs in the background. Lulu's not going to make any noise because I don't even know where she is, to be honest. So Lulu is truly mindful, right? She's <laughs> in the moment. So I don't feel like in churches, and you can tell me what you think about this, but I feel like in church, I hear more about evangelism through conversation, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm going to go and I'm going to present the gospel to you and I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And then I'm going to invite you to church. You get to come in the club now. Let's go. I don't hear a lot of teaching at least. And I'm not saying churches don't say it. Okay. But Mm -hmm. I just personally have not heard a lot of teaching about how to sit in the presence of another person and interact with them in a way that demonstrates Christ and doesn't like, I don't have to do some intense correction or direction of your life, but just the spirit of me being with the person is enough because the Holy spirit is in me. And so when I behave in a certain way, even if I never name it, they're going to know something is different about how Marianne does relationship with me. But I don't feel like I ever got taught that directly. And I feel like in this culture that we're in right now, mm-hmm. that that's something that really should be taught because 
it is so divisive and it's so much easier to get wrapped up in like the divisions and then the anger or the polarizations that happen, right? Mm -hmm. So do you feel like, like when you were growing up and, and somebody would say, be like Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? Like tell people about who Jesus is. Do you ever feel like anybody exposed you to how to be Jesus through concepts like compassion, curiosity, um, loving kindness, awareness? Mm -hmm. Was that something you learned? You know, not really. It was something I was told, like, be compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. You know, be loving. Um, However, I think there is just such a misconception on what what made Jesus encounters with people so transformative for them? Because I think we have taken on this mantle of correction, like you were saying, this mantle of like teaching or like, I need to help this person transform the things that are wrong with them. But in so many accounts that we read of Jesus, like even I'm thinking after his resurrection, where it's like people didn't know it was Jesus till he cooked them breakfast on the beach and people didn't know it was Jesus with them until he broke bread with them. And I think like Jesus could have done anything to reveal who he was to people, but it was in like these intimate moments of sitting together, sharing a meal, listening, like not a lot of correction happening. And so I think we've just taken on this identity of, kind of crusading in a way that I don't even think we saw Jesus doing. Wow. No, I think that's really insightful. I, I, I'll have to really kind of sit and think about that, but you're right. I mean, if I think about some of my most meaningful connected relationships, it is how the person um, is with me. Meaning like, when you, when you come to visit, I know where you're going to sit on my couch. I know where you're going to put your shoes. I know what you want to drink. And there's like an intimacy in that knowing. But then there's also another level of intimacy of knowing I can strike up a meaningful conversation with you at any point. And we have like these shared experiences and we challenge each other. And I think about, you know, I mean, that's, that's a lot of what's so attractive to me about Jesus and about the disciples is, is that kind of intimacy that comes with like the realness, right? Like, I mean, they were all very dramatic people. (laughs) Really, Peter, man, he's a wreck. <laughs> I'm not gonna deny you, cockadoodledoo. <laughs> like, okay, but I think I love that Jesus walked so closely with Peter that mm-hmm. when when he, he did go back to Peter, that Peter was wrecked. Mm-hmm. about uh, about what had happened in their relationship. Yeah. 
you know, and, and that's the thing is like, we have friends that really don't see life through the same lens as us. And I've never corrected them. Yeah. I've just communed with them, asked great questions, had them ask me great questions. And, but the, but what trumps everything is the relationship and the respect and love that we have for one another. So if we do have to enter into a hard conversation, we're entering it in under the, you know, umbrella of, I love you. I respect you. I want to hear what you have to say because I value you. Right. And I don't think we get taught really well what it is to really enter into another person's experience so that you can have compassion and curiosity that leads to how you present Christ to them through your actions, mm -hmm. not just your words. Yeah. And I guess I'm wondering, like for you, like we, we talk all the time about how curious you are and that's been like, the piece of advice from you that I've gotten the most is to lead with curiosity in my yes. life, in my relationships. And I guess I want to ask you, like, how did you become so curious and how do you action that out? Because what I hear you saying, like, and what I've experienced in relationship with you is it is your curiosity that leads you to be able to truly hear people and listen to them and develop this bond of loving kindness and compassion. So I guess I'm wondering, like, where does that come from for you? Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I would say I'd love to be like, you know, I was a kid that never grew out of that. Why, why, why? When they were little, I, okay. This is a really like stupid answer for this question though, but this just popped into my head. When I was younger, my mom really wanted to develop my critical thinking. Okay. So she got me all kinds of mystery books when I was growing up, in particular Encyclopedia Brown books. So mm. have you ever heard of those, Courtney? Yeah. Or actually, am I yeah. so old? Okay. I didn't know if I was too old for, for you to know about that book. Okay. But for those that don't know, it basically presents a little mystery. Like there's some kind of crime that's happened and encyclopedia Brown, which is that uh, clearly his parents did not name him encyclopedia, but you know, that's his little nickname. His dad's the chief of police in the town. His dad comes home and he lays out the crime and based on what dad shares, encyclopedia cracks the mystery, right? But what's cool about it is they present that little thing and then it says, okay, now flip back to the back of the book for this, you know, like the resolution of this crime, like what happened? Yeah. So these books cultivated my, my, my desire to pay attention to detail. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. so in order to crack the mysteries, I had to really catch nuances and movements and like all of these different things that were embedded in the story. But in order in real life, you don't get the whole narrative. That, right. that makes up for a person, right? Like yeah. these were little stories and they have beginnings and ends and they explained and everything in the middle that you needed to do to know to come up with the answer. But in real life, I'm, 
I am as a therapist or as a friend dropped into the present moment. So if I really want to understand the person and get the details so we feel connected, I have to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And so I think just the idea of like, here's a story, because I also truly believe in the power of a story. I mean, like a good story, like all of it. I just love stories. But I think, again, it, it all began way back then. And I just love asking people things because if I can understand what it is that makes a person tick, then I feel so much more connected to like how they see the world and how to speak into their lives and what makes them laugh, what motivates them, all of it. And I just think that's just one of the best experiences like that's why I love curiosity because I'm like and and it's not always like some deep beautiful thing sometimes it's like laced with what is wrong with that person <laughs> like, so I don't want anybody to be like oh she's so evolved she's just sitting there in a very like transcendental state asking these deep philosophical questions about people when really sometimes it's just like what the hell <laughs> But I, but I still have a curiosity to answer that question and be like, I don't know what she's doing, but that's straight up crazy. There's surely got to be an explanation for that. <laughs> like, what is that? And I will go digging into the story, trying to figure out like, why does a person act like that? <laughs> like that's that's well, not a I thing. I see you dig. Oh, I girl. But I guess I, I have a follow-up to that because as we're talking about this in the context of like relationship and being Christ to people, have you found that people get uncomfortable with your curiosity or is it easy for people to enter into that? Because I, I love our relationship, but I do know at first I was like, she, she asked so many questions about me and <laughs> no one asked me questions. No one is, a lot of people are not, interested in other people. So do you ever find that people are a bit uncomfortable at first? Yeah. So this is so funny that you asked me this because literally I was just talking about this like on Monday with someone because she's like, you're a rare bird. Well, that never sounds good, right? Uh like I'm not looking for the rare bird comment because that implies weirdness to me whatever so she called me a rare bird and you know I was trying to be cool about it and I was like why why am I a rare bird and she says <laughs> she said like I did I was like why am I a rare bird like no I just was like what do you mean by that <laughs> so she went on to say that I have a way of relating that is unusual and at first off-putting, but incredibly attractive and eventually makes people like want to say that deeply connected with you, which ultimately can be exhausting. Mm -hmm. So it was the first time somebody outside of my family had made that comment in a way that actually resonated. I heard it uh, mm -hmm. in a more impactful way. But the, the, the short end of the answer to the question is, in my job, it's never off-putting. Mm 
because yeah. people expect to be asked a thousand questions from a therapist. Sure. I think I ask way more questions now because my uh, so much of my time is spent asking questions. Sometimes I forget that like in therapy, these questions make sense, but at a dinner party, they might seem a little <laughs> too deep, right? You know, so, but typically you're a, I mean, you're a million percent right when you say that a lot of people don't ask questions. Yeah. You know, and I do think that there is always going to be a section of people who are not going to be attracted to somebody wanting to know them deeply. But mm -hmm. the people that I have developed close relationships with, they have said, that's what sets me apart Absolutely. from the other relationships in their life because I'm curious. So yeah. I think it's like, you know, it is a tricky place and maybe I should not ask as many questions as I do, but no, no, I also feel like I'm so much better as a person because of what I learned from you or anyone else. Sure. And, but I do you know? think, you know, I don't want you to change. I keep asking all the questions because I think the section of people that don't want that, there is, there likely exists within them a fear that when they are observed, like fully kind of at a deeper level, that there will not be an acceptance, that there will not be compassion for their story, that there will not be understanding. So I right. think that even the people who are resistant to it, I don't think it is because you know, I don't want Marianne to ask me questions. I think on some level, there's probably, if you were able to sit with them and hear their story, right? Some, mm -hmm. some point in their, in their story where they experienced a deep hurt or abandonment because they were seen at a deeper level. And so, you know, I don't think that's a, a reason for you to stop being curious. Well, I just wondered oh yeah. Were, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be curious to my grave. So I'm not really, I, I don't even know what it would look like to not be curious, but, you know, circling back to curiosity, I'm not just curious about other people. I'm curious about myself too. And I think that's why books like Living Buddha, Living Christ have been so impactful to me because they've made me stop and really think about, okay, what would, how would my life look different if I made a decision to do this one thing with full awareness or mindfulness mm -hmm. of its impact? So example being, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about mindful eating, right? Like what, how would it look different if I mindfully ate the big bag of M&Ms? <laughs> You know, like, I think when people think about mindful eating, they think of like, I don't know, greens or something. Yeah. yeah. Root vegetables. I don't Not me. I'm thinking about my candy. My M&Ms. My M&Ms. But, but I think, you know, what I come to realize is what mindfulness suggests to me, whether I'm mindfully eating something or I'm just kind of sitting in meditation over a scripture or a quote or whatever is there's a whole experience going on inside of me at any given time. 
And mindfulness allows me to be attuned to what that is, mm-hmm. right? And noticing what's congruent in me and what might be incongruent. And then being able to say, what am I going to do with this? And what, what, what kind of practices can I incorporate so that my mind, body, and spirit are all working in unison. Because a lot of times I will be like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read, read my Bible or do my Bible study or read a book or whatever for, for personal growth purposes. But then I get there and I never bother to notice, like, I have a lot of anxiety. Or I have, you know, I have this pit in my stomach. Whereas with mindfulness, you start there. Yeah. You do like a check-in with yourself to see like what's going on. And I know you live pretty mindfully and intentionally. How have, how have you incorporated these things in your life? Yeah, I mean, the word that you've been using a lot is like noticing or like uh-huh. this concept of paying attention. And I realized a few years ago through some readings and just like personal experience that when I'm actually paying attention to my life and when I'm actually taking the time to, you know, I'm walking up the stairs and I'm thinking right now I'm walking up the stairs, even stupid things, you know, silly things that ground me in the present moment. I find that I experience all of life and its complexity more fully So if I can actually like be where I am and pay attention to what is going on outside of me and also within me, um, it it totally, totally changes how I experience life. I find so much more joy and fulfillment and also the, the downside or, you know, it's probably not a downside, but the stuff that sucks really sucks when you're mindful (laughs) because you have to pay attention to it. You know, this comment that this person made or this email that I got, um, man, what did that do to me? My heart started pounding in my chest and the room started spinning and I started, you know, like, yeah. Having all of these reactions and you have to Mm -hmm. deeply feel everything. So it's not just that mindfulness produces only beautiful, lovely feelings, but I think mindfulness provides us a full and abundant life, right? Which is what Jesus promised us, you know, that we would have life and have it to the fullest. And I don't think that just means having the best experiences to the fullest. I think that means we're going to have life, the, the ups and the downs, but we're going to have this through line of, of divine presence with us and the Holy Spirit alongside us. That Absolutely. That yeah. And I, just to add, I love that you pointed that out, that it's not going to be like some, like we're all experiencing this bliss, you know, as a result of living mindfully. You're right. Like, you have to be willing to to sit in the good and the bad. And, you know, this is another word that doesn't come up on the regular in my 
conversations, but he mentions this, this in the book, he talks about living mindfully, even though you're suffering, which mm -hmm. is what you're talking about, but he named it suffering. And I was like, yeah, that is the experience, isn't it? It's not, you hurt my feelings, though that's what I'm saying. The experience is at this moment, I have, I'm experiencing great suffering because I feel misunderstood or I feel disconnected from somebody or something or I feel shame or guilt or whatever. And naming that as suffering, but then also recognizing that some of my suffering is a result of my self-criticism and then being able to say, you know what I need? I need compassion. Mm -hmm. And I, because I have the Holy Spirit residing in me, yeah. can not only give compassion to other people, but I can give compassion to myself, mm -hmm. right? Because the Holy Spirit can do a work in me. And I think that that's the uniqueness of living, you know, in a state of awareness is that it, it presents with it not only, you know, the joys or, or the suffering, but it also allows a space for the things that you really need to do the heart work, yes. right? Where you can go, okay, if I was listening to Courtney and her problems and what was going on for her, what would I demonstrate to her? Well, I would want you to feel understood, comforted, and receive compassion from me. Well, I can do those same things for myself. Yeah. Right? And and so that's the thing, like when somebody said to me, Well, couldn't you couldn't you grasp these principles by reading a book that wasn't named? Because you know it's the name that bothers them because they don't actually know what's in the book. Mm -hmm. But couldn't you couldn't you like learn this stuff without having a book that says Buddha? in it. And I, th I thought to myself, well, first off, I probably wouldn't have read the book yeah. if it hadn't said Buddha and G in Christ, you know what I mean? Cause that immediately was, you know, provocative to me and that's attractive, but also I love the language that comes from Buddhism. Mm -hmm. I love the wording and I think he's a great author and mm -hmm. I think that everybody should read this book. I agree. Everybody. And I know you said it, you said it in the last episode, but it's sometimes it's the power of different language Absolutely. to unlock the things that you have maybe heard or, but in truth, I, I don't know that I was hearing this message a lot growing up in the church. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that as well. Yeah. And, and I want to have language that allows for like a whole ray of expression, right? Like I don't want just to communicate in this very narrow way. If there is a word to describe my faith walk that's peculiar or not, just not typical, yeah. I don't, I don't want to have to worry about whether or not that's an approved word. Right. You know, like somebody was saying, you, I think you said it earlier, something about the divine. And I immediately thought to myself, Ooh, I love that word. Oh, that's a no, no. 
can't say divine. Somebody else called dibs on that. And that was called the new agey people, which is so stupid. Right. So stupid. Cause God is divine. Right. You know, he is sovereign. He's over and in everything. And so I feel like I just don't want the limitations on my language to describe right. my relationship with, with Jesus. I just don't want it. Right. And well, I think, I think that what we find like part of this book, the attractiveness of living Buddha, but living Christ, the Christ, like we read as Christians in the Bible, like the book of Colossians is about like Christ is before all things and the Christ holds everything together and Christ is expansive and we find all love and all goodness and all truth through Christ. That's not a limited, small, narrow thing christ is everything like in terms of like truth and direction and yet we're scared because because i said divine instead of god you know what i mean (laughs) what right people get a hold of yourself right (laughs) and let's actually like if we could stop being so worried about the language and and even stop being so afraid when a Buddhist sounds like a Christian, you know, yeah. always, or a Christian sounds like a Buddhist. Right. If we could stop being worried about that, we would actually be experiencing God's presence and love and the truth in our lives. Like, yeah, I'm with you. I yeah. Check out what I got. <laughs> okay. I got, uh, meditation finger symbols the other day. Did you? Yeah, like the ones that have the little like ropey chain and it's just two things and you just, the chain and the little yeah. symbols hit each other, not the ones that like I would clip on my fingers. I, I'm thankful for Neil that you didn't get the finger clip-ons. I feel like those <laughs> would have been obnoxious around the house. <laughs> I also think he would have been confused with me being a belly dancer. <laughs> confused, maybe a little scandalized. Yes, yes. So anyway, I got the other kind that has a little rope and you just ding them together and everything. And I was just feeling my like, okay, I'm getting this. Because you know, I already have a singing goal and I'm all into my singing goal, right? So anyway, I got them and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to use them as a frame for my time of like reflection and meditation, mindfulness, all that jazz. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah. Love it. But someone walked into my house the other day and said, Oh, I heard you were doing your podcast on living Buddha, living Christ. Oh, you got that stuff. What's that stuff called again? Like, why did you get that? Like, as if to say, I'm worried about you. Yeah. Like, you got finger symbols. I'm like, you should be more worried if Mm -hmm. I became a belly dancer. (laughs) (laughs) If my finger symbols were on my fingers and I'm dancing around, that you should be worried about. (laughs) But this, this is not to be worried about. Yeah, there is such a fear. And I think we probably experience it more from our evangelical background. Yeah. 
you know, like our, our friends, like in more of a high church background, they've got the incense going, they've got the little swingy, you know, the swingy incense thing and, and the ritual that frames, you know, what did you, what's that thing called? A swingy I, incense thing. I really forget what it's called. <laughs> Why do I feel like I see like the Russian Orthodoxy church with that? Yeah. Like, isn't that what that is? Yeah. yeah. The church, the Orthodox churches, like, yeah, they're, they're all about the symbols. And honestly, as Christians, we've got weird symbols too. We have weird rituals as well. And so, but there is such a fear of anything that looks too different. You know, we think like yeah. God could possibly speak to me through that. And I'm like, God speaks to me all the time through people who aren't Christians. God speaks to me all the time <gasps> through nature. What? And what? you know, scandalous. It is. You're scandalous right now. <laughs> but I think that's, you know, like if I could go back to your age and have the permission to have the freedom to think about how cultivating my relationship with Jesus could be private and unique and not confined by some organized experience. Mm -hmm. What would my relationship look like with him today? Right? Like, I think there's something that I'm exploring at 50 that you are equally exploring at 30 plus, but I just think, gosh, I wish I could have thought like that at 30 and had permission. Yeah. Right. Cause I think I was still drinking the juice. Oh wait, my bad. Drink, drinking the Welsh's grape juice. <laughs> Yeah. That and matzah. Okay, I know we have to stop, but speaking of communion, let me just tell you this funny thing it made me think of. So I've never told you this. Okay, when I was little, I was so into communion. Like that was a thing. Because it was like in our church, it was, there's a guy up front, and he did a little like communion devotional, and then there were communion tables on either side, and there were three men that stood behind these communion tables and they passed out the plates to each other. And it was very like, uh, like structured, right? Like yeah. how it worked. The guy at the end, like lifted them and then they passed. It was like a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So, and then they would go and they would stand at the end of each aisle and they would pass. It was, it was amazing. It was like, I, cause we don't do that in our church now. It's a, um, a common cup right? And then like a little round wafer thingy. Well, anyway, but this was Welch's grape juice mm -hmm. and matzah bread, which you can get at your local grocery store. Yes. So mm -hmm. I would have my mom <laughs> bring home some communion cups because she was a communion preparer. I'd have her bring home some communion cups and get me some matzah bread and grape Welch juice. And I would have communion. Oh my I broke my own bread. I drank my own juice. It was like a whole thing. 
It was whole. You it was a whole thing. Rituals and the sacraments and the symbols for a long time. I know. I'm digging it. So I haven't done it. In, I haven't done it in years. In fact, during the pandemic, I, I thought to myself, I should pick up this habit. <laughs> I should do this again and everything. But it was just just a random offshoot that felt I needed to tell you my tangential story I'm about ritual. So don't, don't let this come back up though at a later date. Don't be like, Mary, remember that time? Can we take communion together? Let's run over to Meyer and get our Welsh's grape juice. No, I won't ask. I'll just show up with my box of crackers. I'm ready to go. Oh, gosh. I'm a mess. I love you so much. I love you, too. Thanks for chatting with me. Yeah, we'll do it. I know we'll do it as soon as we hang up here. But yeah. let's do it again in this format soon. Okay. Bye, everybody. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Renewal Session Podcast. Make sure to head on over to iTunes and rate and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are dropping every Thursday, and I can't wait for you to tune in to next time. Until then, live your best life.